What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark Stay. And as always, a whopping great thank you to all you wonderful people out there who keep this podcast on the go. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, uh, there's hundreds of hours of extra material. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and, uh, you know, Keep us going. Keep the thing going. Uh, Mr. D, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm just gearing up for the big opening 2024 of the Academy, Ooh. Bestseller Academy. We've got some amazing, amazing people in the Academy already and some amazing new coaches coming in, as we announced last week as well. So if you're interested in joining us uh, for a writing journey of a lifetime, you want to get that book started, finished, published, rewritten, <laughs> dusted off, wherever you're at in the process, however advanced you feel you are or however much of a beginner you might be we welcome all levels so do pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and find out more about it and get your application it's an early birds uh, which is the uh, middle of december 14th of december so get your early bird application in to to guarantee yourself a spot and uh, mr stay how has everything been for you it's been uh run up to christmas is it always busy in your house this time of year Bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, I can't wrap things. Did now when I was a bookseller, the only time I ever lost my rag with the customer was when some smart ass at Waterstone's head office decided it would be a good idea because we offered a wrapping service. Uh, so if you bought a book, you could we go we go into the the back room. And we'd wrap it up and put a little gold bow. But they decided one Christmas, no, we're going to put this on the shop floor so people can see it being done. And uh, oh, yeah, no so <laughs> I can't wrap for toffee. I'm hopeless yeah. at it. I just can't do it. And so I'm doing this and folding bits over and everything. And this fella, and, and it's, you know, just a few days before that, that run up to Christmas is always so stressful. You know, uh, it's, it's, you know, just constant barrage, people coming in for last minute presents and what have you. I'm always super extra nice to anyone who works in retail or restaurants and any kind of service industry in the run up to Christmas because the stress levels are so high. And this guy was like, Oh God, do you want me to do it? And I just went, do you want to do it then? So I just completely, I was like, Oh no, this has turned me into a monster. So I was taking off wrapping duty after that. Um, so yeah. Don't do that. That's um, absolutely brilliant. And and this is not. I'm, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there who know how to rap and are great at, rap, at rapping. I'm not the best rapper. I, I, I have been practicing a bit over the years, but um, I was just thinking of like all the people queuing up. Uh, you know, there's several people rapping, and it's like, oh, I've got the bloke. Oh no, because you know, <laughs> if they're asking you to rap it, it's for a reason, right? It's because especially yeah. if they're last minute, they're probably bringing it straight to their loved one. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, how how present is rap says a lot about 
the love and care that's gone into it as well, right? I mean, does it though? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, do you know what I do it. love? I love, the, I love the 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 uh, parallel universe to that, which is young kids' presence that yes. they've wrapped themselves with parents. Those are the best. It's more sticky tape than paper. Yeah, where it's ripped and it's like, <laughs> and it's folded multiple times. A bit of the books poking through, yeah, you know, the usual. Yeah. But it's, but it's the thought. This is why this is why you should buy books for Christmas because they are the easiest thing to wrap. They're basically they little are. rectangles. So yeah. I, I bought my. Uh, you won't be listening, but I bought my little nephew these floating ball things. Have you seen them? Like little, they're Christmas. They're the big Christmas. No. They, they're like levitating balls. They like float up in the air. I don't know how they Are do you it. you living like, in the future? I'm living in the future, Mark. <laughs> when you come to Canada, you suddenly like go 20, 20 hours into the future at least. Floating balls? Yeah. But, but it's really weird. But the, the packaging, nightmare. It was like, they had two of them, one sticking out on one side and one sticking out on the other side, one at the top, one at the... So you imagine trying to wrap that. I mean, it's just... it's. It's like impossible. So well, people yeah, my, think about this when they put out Christmas presents. It's my, it's my great nephew's birthday, and I got my Peppa Pig um, bunch of toys. You know, last Peppa is, is one. Uh, I got my whole okay, bunch. So he of won't, he won't be. He won't be he's, listening he's to the not, podcast. No, he's, no, he's, no spoilers. He's, no, he's more into politics podcasts. Actually, uh, small politics he's and yeah. the cricket. Uh, and. <laughs> Absolute pigging nightmare to wrap, you know, because it's all, you know, uh, uh, pigging. Hey, I was um, going to say, was that, <laughs> that was not intentional? That was not intentional. Love it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, it's, uh, and I've sent it in the post. So it's probably going to arrive uh, as, as a, you know, completely broken box with the pigs poking out and ruining the surprise. So sorry. Sorry. I will Arthur. say, I will say there is one disadvantage to giving books as a present. Not that I'm saying anyone shouldn't give books. I think everyone should just give books. Well, that's all we yes. should do. Just buy books. Mark Slay's got a few out. Hey, back to reality, folks. Hey, perfect. Hey, know someone that loves a bit of a music, like, you know, oh, back in time. Gift. Perfect. Uh, gift. What a perfect if you're yeah. if you're struggling for last minute ideas. But the problem with giving books as a gift, it's a bit like when we used to give CDs. You remember that time era mm. back in the past, mm. the CDs? You kind of know what they are, right? Do you, you know, <laughs> you, you know, you don't know what it is. What or type a, a of but you know you've got vinyl, book. you know you, yeah. you'd ask for now that's what I call music for and you see the vinyl and it's <laughs> exactly. like oh, I know what that is <laughs> it's either a really stiff calendar or and because also the other thing is you know we all do it I don't know if you still do it but if there's presents under the tree early our kids mm. are on they're under there like a cat with catnip they're like there and they're you picking them the up looking for me. names yeah and then they're, they're flexing them probably breaking my, half of them my in the dad process. is the worst my the dad is the worst that's always the worst is it yeah, our generation rattle, 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 of dads rattle. yeah yeah I think my so. my father-in-law and big shout out to john and he won't mind me saying this but my father-in-law any present that he gets like a week a two weeks a month before he can't wait He's open it. I'm like ringing up saying, has it arrived? Is it on the, oh, thanks so much for the, uh, the socks or whatever. And I'm like, what? You've got to, well, you can't open it beforehand. It's meant to be for the day. He's already and, taken it for a refund and store and, credit. Exactly. It's on eBay. Uh, it's been re-gifted. Actually, that's probably the reason you do it, right? That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's clever. I wonder if anyone's ever in the history of the world, I'm sure this must have happened, just all the presents they've given are just re-gifted. gifted The things they got and they just gave them to different friends. Good idea. Cheap Christmas, really, really, when you think about it. That's a good idea for a Christmas novel, actually. Yeah. When a regifting going wrong. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Regifted. Yeah, there you go. I think on that one. Cogs are whirring, yeah. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> oh dear, what have I started? What have I started? Brilliant stuff. Well, um, that's probably enough of our wrapping uh, yeah, today. Sorry. And uh, I think it's um 
Well, it's good. It's like getting into the season, right? This time of year always goes too fast for me. Get to Christmas and then Christmas happens and you've been so busy in the run up to it, you haven't really had a chance to enjoy it, look that forward so to it, true. take yeah. a breath. And then by the time you get past Christmas, I know there's meant to be 12 days of Christmas, but really after if you after I you know get past Christmas Day, it, it kind of feels like it's the, the big events happened. It's like mm. the main the main prize has happened. And it's like, well, so yeah, this is a time to enjoy it, folks. So if you can get a breather amongst the craziness of it, um, go into a bookshop and, and buy a friend book. And also just to remind people, sorry, we mentioned this last week. Um, if you're in a bookshop and you, and you can find the book that most influenced you as a child, buy a copy, wrap it up and give it to some child of a similar age, any, any child, a friend of a family, a niece, a nephew, um, you know, whoever it might be, go to find a you local have to be charity careful, that supports good. My copy of The Joy of Sex did not go down well. <laughs> Can't believe you said that. And you that's should say the tone. I think that's, that's the first the That's the first time I've ever had to say that to you on the podcast. So you always say that to me, and those are the bits we've always had to cut out. Which as it, which would be funny you if we tell I'm leaving, all, can't you? I know. He's, he's, announced, he's announced he's off, and now he's going to be effing and blinding, telling us all his rude stories from the part. No, it could be quite fun, actually, folks. I think we should bring it on. Um, but, uh, yeah, joy sex. Yeah, Karma Sutra as well. Probably well, not I the used best to, gift. I used to go around to, you know, you go around to other friends' houses and what have you, you know. You around, <gasps> Are you about to talk you know, about other friends' parents' bookshelves? Yes, and, oh. you know, some a friend of mine, who shall remain nameless, but there, right on the shelf, hardcover copy of The Joy of Sex. Wow. Which was Back in the day, book. pre-internet, right? <laughs> yeah, bearded hippie and his girlfriend. Um, and <laughs> Everyone knows what Mark's talking about, if they've ever seen that <laughs> book. certain age. Yeah. Oh, my so gosh. I couldn't, couldn't, so, of course, you know, when they walk out the room, just browse the bookshelves. Yeah, there that, it is. That book was an education, I will say. Really I will say that it was an education. <laughs> I can't even remember who had a copy of it. It's, it's taken us over parents, 800, 450 episodes to get to this. Yeah. <laughs> well, as they say, we're getting to the climax, aren't we? So. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Couldn't resist End it. Of the year. <laughs> <laughs> This is like this is like retro bestseller experiment, isn't it? Do you remember yes. when we had to kind of pull it back a bit? Oh yeah, my gosh! Yeah. Oh, folks, listen. Yeah. Welcome if you're new to this show. Um, it's this not, is not always like this. it's not always like this. <laughs> Just once in a blue moon, when Mark and I drop our guards, love it. This is what it's about, though, Mark. This is this is why we do it. Everyone who's everyone, I mean, maybe Joy of Sex was just a thing in the UK. Or was it an international bestseller? Maybe there's a ton of people in North America and Australia like rushing out to their bookstores. No, I think it was an inter- I think it was an international phenomenon. Yes. Where are they now? That's what I want to know. They probably got a family with like twenty kids. Yeah, well, they were always at it, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that scene from Monty Python. You know what I mean? Yeah. Woman ironing. Right. Oh, another one. Get that, would you, Deirdre? Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. we we still got an interview to get through, Mark. Yes, yes. Come on, let's do this. Come on, author on the show. Okay, professional broadcasters. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. Um, Mark, segue. Award-winning podcast, let, yes. Let, yeah, award-winning podcast. In fact, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tell us about an incredible guest today. 
Oh, well, Luke Chilton, uh, who writes as L.M. Chilton. He, he was a journalist for many, many years. Uh, he's worked on TV for shows like This Morning, The One Show, Loose Women. He's written for mags uh, like Cosmo and Glamour. He's written for The Mirror. Uh, and uh, he's written a fantastic book called Don't Swipe Right, which is his debut novel, which is a murder mystery uh, set in the world of kind of online app dating. And it's very, very funny. And we discuss changing titles and openings, how to get your book on TV, everyone wants to know that, and why you shouldn't set a sex scene in a police station. You see, here we go again. It's just like, <laughs> it's just obviously, there's obviously the build-up. Yes. And we should also say that, that for anyone listening as well, thinking how the bestseller experiment can affect your life, Luke is an avid fan and listener. And so yeah. we take full responsibility for everything you're about to hear. <laughs> so let's dive in, folks, and listen to Mark chatting with the wonderful Luke Chilton. Luke Chilton, welcome to the Bestseller Experiment. How are you today, sir? I'm very good. It's wet and windy here, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, enjoying it. Excellent stuff. It is wet and wet. Listeners, we're doing this on the big storm day. If you're in the southeast of England, you'll know what that is. Uh, we like to make a drama out of a crisis, don't we? But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about your spectacular new book, Don't Swipe Right, uh, which, and we'll talk about how the title changed as well in a minute, uh, which is just a terrific read. Uh, Luke, tell us about your debut, Don't Swipe Right. Well, I call it uh, a millennial murder mystery. Uh, it's uh, set in the terrifying and mystifying world of dating apps. Mm -hmm. And it's a whodunit. Uh, and it follows uh, the hero called Gwen Turner. She's just been dumped and she's hitting the dating apps really hard. And the twist is each of the men she dates turns up dead. And she has to solve who's doing this, why they're doing this. And of course, she becomes the chief suspect. So it's a sort of... Uh, comedic but thrilling mishmash of a rom-com and a murder mystery excellent stuff and this was inspired i believe by the fact that you went on something like now i'm looking i was looking at an article in the mirror where it said you went on 212 dates <laughs> yeah i mean i think it was probably more than that uh, i thought that <laughs> sounded quite good for the article because when i met my uh, partner my girlfriend now she was number 213 Lucky right. number 213. So I thought that sounded good for the newspaper. But I think in reality, it was probably like 500, 600 dates. I, I was dating wow. for probably about a decade uh, on, on every different app going and uh, became a bit addicted to it. So that was a lot of the inspiration is, is how these algorithms of these dates, dating app work and they keep you on them and they don't want you to find love. They want you to keep dating and uh, they're serving you particular types of person based on your likes and dislikes and who you're swiping yes or no to. And yeah, it's quite a disposable industry of, of making people disposable and going on to the next person. And I really thought how that was quite similar to a murder mystery because you'd go on a date with somebody, you'd learn everything about them, their dog's name, their mum and dad, they how their relationship with their boss at work. And then you'd end up never seeing them again if it was just one date. Yeah. And I thought that was quite interesting how you'd learn so much about a person and then you'd never see them again. And so that's why I worked into the book. And in the book, Gwen goes on these dates with these terrible men and then they're murdered. And she she has dismissed them as kind of toxic, awful men. But in the book, she has to go back and think, oh, well, what did he actually say on that day? And look for clues. So it's all about going back and thinking, oh, well, actually, are these people disposable? 
or should I have paid a bit more attention at the time? So I tried to weave that into the into the story, uh, but at the same time, it also gave me a good opportunity to put in all the kind of terrible date stories that I'd been <laughs> on and I'd heard from all my friends. And when you go on dates, they always tell you, this is my worst date and um, all the terrible people and I've had to climb out the bathroom window and all that stuff. <laughs> I mean, this- it was funny as well. This is this is the great thing about the book is the reaction to it. I mean, you just have to look at the reviews and Goodreads and Amazon, and you'll see a lot of people can relate. To, <laughs> apart from the murder side of things, a lot of people can relate to this. Well, and that that people want to murder their bad dates, I think. but yeah, I think that's the key. Everyone has been on a on a bad date, probably, and you know, certainly now dating apps are the the, the main way people meet someone. So there, lots of people have been on these terrible dating apps. They've been on terrible dates. And everyone likes to live vicariously through their single friends. So even if you're not single, I think you kind of want to hear about all these bad dates. And certainly yeah. when I was dating, yeah, that's the first thing everyone wants to know is like, what, what, what was the worst day? They don't want to hear about the good fun stories. They want to hear about the terrible people who were. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that's a big part of the appeal of the book is you hear about five of Gwen's terrible dates. So you hear about the murder mystery and that she's running around town and trying to solve the mystery. And then every so often you get a little vignette of her bad date. It's great. Now, it's a great high concept. It's a, there's a great instant hook there. Had you been writing much before this? Had you been sort of looking for that great hook or are there unfinished novels in, in your drawer somewhere? And how long had you been writing for? Well, do you know what? So I, I was, I'm a journalist by trade, as, as I think a lot of authors uh, <laughs> are previously journalists. But so I'd written a lot in my day job, but that was uh, nonfiction. Uh, but I always, I loved reading murder mysteries and I, I loved reading novels. So, and I think every journalist secretly is desperate <laughs> to be a novelist. But no, I tried to write one when I was about 20 that was awful. Uh, and and uh, I did actually get to the point of sending out chapters to publishers, but it was like in those days it was putting them in envelopes and sending them out in the post. And I think I got one <laughs> one reply, one rejection. And then I put it to bed for, for, for decades and didn't think again until lockdown, really. And I think, you know, the pandemic and where a lot of people were like, oh, what am I going to do now? I need a hobby. And that's when I really started writing. And this idea through dating and through being single had been circulating in my head for a while. And uh, that's when I started putting it down on paper. But I think I used to work for one of these terrible um, supermarket magazines called Real People magazine. And that was my first job in journalism. And I used to interview people who had the most traumatic and amazing stories. You know, they'd had amazing weight loss or they married their sister's cousin's gerbil. And you'd <laughs> interview them and then you'd rewrite their story in first person for the magazine. So you'd yeah. have to give it a beginning and middle and end. You'd have to take this kind of wild story that didn't have a beginning and middle and end and format it for a magazine where people could read it and enjoy it but it was still true for the most part and it was in first person so you also had to become that person and edit their story so I think that was really good training for for being an author because yeah this book's in first person this book's yeah a female protagonist and uh, I think that that stood me in good stead Definitely, definitely. And this is a lockdown book, and we've had a few authors coming on the show recently that wrote lockdown books. And some authors have told us they found it very difficult to write during lockdown. Others were just relieved that they had the time to do something and to escape into the book. What was that process like for you? Was it a way to escape from everything that was going on in the world, or or, or were you working anyway? 
I was working, but like a lot of people, like the world went crazy and suddenly, well, and actually the time I worked in advertising, so the advertising market was in, in like they didn't know what people wanted to buy or sell or look at. Mm. So there was a lot of time of me sitting in my garden and it was that first couple of ones which were in the, in the summer. And yeah, I was quite lucky. I had a garden. I was in the sunshine. I didn't have a lot of work to do because, you know, the market was was confused. So I was sat in my garden with not a lot to do, uh, single and needed a hobby. And uh, yeah, it, I think in hindsight, it was a bit of escapism. But at the time, it seemed seemed like a good way to focus my mind on something that I should have been doing for years and never quite got around to. So, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I was lucky in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's it's been interesting listening to a lot of uh, lockdown authors. It's it's like the feeling was, I've got to do this now, or I might never get around to doing it at all. Was that the case yeah, for you? If not, then 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 when? So yeah, and I'm glad I did it. And and obviously it continued after that. And you know, it's not it's not quick writing a book, and uh, uh, it it took it took a lot of revisions and a lot of redrafting, but uh, it got there. And was this your first novel? This was this your first full-length novel? This is the first full-length novel that I have actually finished and done. And mm-hmm. uh I think what people say is right, you get to that sort of 30,000 word mark, you tip over that, uh, and then you you're gonna finish and you're on the down slope. Uh but yeah, it's the first one I've ever finished, and it's the it's done all right. If it has. Listen carefully, Luke. You'll you'll hear the grinding of teeth from so many of our <laughs> listeners. There we go. Yeah. Well, it was. I mean, it, you, you say it took time, but actually, it was it was pretty pretty quick. Because uh, now, dear listeners, uh, uh, Luke is a listener to the podcast, and he got in touch with me because I offer sort of feedback services, editorial services, and you sent me an early version of this in twenty twenty one, and I was just digging out my notes from this to look at it. Back then, the title was X, a big E X, yeah. uh, which I think changed to Swiped, and then Don't Swipe Right. Uh, right. So, talk about the the shape that it was in 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 twenty twenty one, and and uh, having finished the book, what were your what were your first instincts? So, I'd written this maybe first, second, third draft, perhaps at that point, uh, but it was still kind of rough. It was still too quick, uh, not enough depth to it. But I was excited, and I was looking for sort of validation, looking for feedback, and looking for somebody to sort of say you're on the right track or keep going. And I think a lot of writers feel that because I don't think at that point I'd given it to many other people like friends and peers to read. I later on did do that. But I think you, it's just you at home at your computer and you've mm-hmm. got this 60,000 word document, let's say, and you don't know if it's any good or you think it's quite good and you don't you, you can't see the wood for the trees. So it's really useful to have someone like yourself, a professional, uh, an author, published author, who's spoken to loads of other authors to have a look at it and just say, uh, stand back, uh, look at it objectively and say, oh, you could improve this, you could do this. And it was really helpful to do that. And it was really great feedback from yourself. And it just also, I think the biggest thing is like, keep going. It tells you, okay, yeah. this yeah. isn't a load of crap. <laughs> you yeah. can do it. Yeah. You can. It needs work, but keep going. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at one. They're quite harsh, actually. <laughs> No, it's good. and you don't want you don't want uh, people to be because that's sometimes if you're friends and later on I had friends read it and they were really helpful. But you know you always think, oh, are you just being my friend? Are you just being nice? Are you going to tell me the, the hard truths I need to hear? Like I think you said very wisely, changed the title. 
So yeah, the title was X, EX for a long mm. time, but they weren't her exes, they were her dates. And so it didn't really work. And you can't really imagine that looking very good on a book. EX, X. I think uh, I think so, one of my problems with the title as well was just search engine optimization. You know, yeah. it, it's difficult to find with just two letters. And in a way, it almost sounds like a science fiction novel as well, yeah, weirdly. It didn't know. work. And then, yeah, so Swiped, and it's going to be Swiped in the US, actually, if any US right, right, right. comes out in May 2024 as Swiped in America. And then the UK publishers chose the title Don't Swipe Right for the UK. Excellent. And uh, you wisely ignored some of my advice because uh, Luke very kindly sent me a signed copy and it says in here, I hope you enjoy Don't Swipe Right. Sorry, the sex scene in the police station stayed in. Which, <laughs> Yeah, you said take that out. The, you, you, and again, you were right. You said people on Goodreads are not going to like that. And there has been a few people on Goodreads who say, it's ridiculous that the lead character ends up sleeping with a policeman in the police station. But... I liked it. <laughs> Good you know for you, though. Thought, it's um, fair enough. <laughs> it's more exciting than just being in a in a bedroom flat. So uh, uh, yeah. I kept on the sofa in the police station. But readers can decide. And please <laughs> exactly. let me know if you uh, enjoyed that or didn't. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, no, good for you. You have to stay on your ground sometimes. What I found really fascinating is just comparing the opening few chapters of what you sent me and the opening few chapters of the book. And this is a conversation we've been having with people on the Bestseller Academy recently who are going through their first round of edits, they're finding that they're changing the openings quite dramatically. So uh, you go, talk about the process. I think you got yourself an agent and then you uh, uh, public, you know, got picked up by Head of Zeus, no less, who are fantastic. Um, talk about the process of the edit for you and uh, with, with proper editors and, and how that went for you and what changes uh, you went through with them. Well, it was interesting. I'll tell you this story, which is a big no-no. And everyone says, don't do this. Um, Don't send it off to agents before it's fully finished. But again, like I was saying to you earlier, I was kind of excited about it. And and I'd reached a point where I couldn't really go any further or I needed some feedback. I needed some validation. And I just thought, I've got to get this out into the world. I I need need, um, some external somebody to say this, this is worthwhile. So I did the stupid thing which I hadn't finished the book and I polished up the first three chapters and I just chose maybe one agent I really liked. I thought this agent is perfect for them. I did all the research like you meant to do. And I, and every way you read says they won't reply for eight weeks. It's that. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll send it out now and I've got eight weeks to finish it or give me a good deadline. Focus me. Of course, I sent it off to this, one of the top agents in the country they email back the very next day saying, we love this. Send us the full manuscript, please. And I didn't have the full manuscript. And I was going to, on a, on a weekend away with my friends to Barcelona that weekend. So I, I, I said, oh, I'll send it to you on Monday. And I spent the whole holiday in the airport writing. I was on the plane to Barcelona writing and um, trying to finish it. And I did sort of finish it, but of course it wasn't good enough to be sent so uh, uh, the the agent in question sent me a lovely loads of feedback so that it's not quite there do this tried this and was very kindly sent feedback but said it's not for us but you can resubmit it if you do all these changes right so i wouldn't advise anyone to do that it did kind of help me in the end because i did get that feedback i did get somebody saying this is good we like this but it's not ready and i went back and along with uh, your suggestions and her suggestions 
I changed, I changed, I changed, not, I wouldn't say like substantially rewrote it, but I was able to tweak it. And also I had um, a few of my friends read it, these beta readers read it, and they talked about the intro as well and the first few chapters. And of course, obviously, those are the first things that anyone reads, your reader, your publishers, your agents. So they've got to be really honed. And I went back and I did change the first few chapters and it took me, I'd say about two months maybe of, of rewriting you know I had a day job so it wasn't nine to five but I, I rewrote those first few chapters and I really honed them and I really polished them and I was really pleased with them in the end so I, I do think it is really worth I wouldn't I wouldn't advise sending off to agents but it's really worth getting as many people to read it especially those first few chapters as possible and taking in that information and seeing what they like and what they don't like. And it worked a lot better. And uh, uh, <laughs> whereas that agent ultimately did pass on it in the end, I think their feedback was so helpful and, and, and ultimately helped me get my brilliant agent now, Watson Little, who's done a terrific job of also uh, for, selling it all around the world. For an agent to get back to you the next day, get, uh, listen again, look, more teeth grinding from our <laughs> listeners. That was that was was that during lockdown or between lockdowns? Or? Uh, that would have I was back at work at the time, so it would, would have been after or, or in between. Um, but yeah, I had no, I did not expect that to happen. Everywhere said they'll take weeks and weeks. And, and to, to set your uh, listeners' minds at rest, I got plenty of more rejections because okay. <laughs> when I got that reply, I thought, great, great, they they want a full manuscript. I started sending out those first three chapters to loads of other agents, which was stupid because they all said no. So I, I, like many authors, had the old spreadsheet of who's replied, who's what's the full manuscript, and I, you know, got got 40, 50 different rejections. So I certainly went through that process of of getting hurt all over again uh, in multitude ways of you know form rejections, <laughs> and and I and some of the worst ones were um like we love this, we love this idea, we love the writing. But it's not for us. And then you think, well, you can edit it, you can change it. Let, let's work together. Because you read and you listen to podcasts and they say, okay, well, your book's going to get edited by professionals, they're going to change bits. So I was already happy to change it. Yeah. So I was always like, but I was thinking this earlier. It's a lot like dating. When you get rejected by agents and publishers, <laughs> it's this, it's similar to getting dated by a romantic interest, because it's not always about you. Like you don't know what's going yeah. on. They might, you might remind them of an ex. They might have had a, a terrible day at work. You don't know what's going on in the agent's minds, how many other books they've got that are similar to this book, all that sort of stuff. So it's not always about the quality of your book. Sometimes no. it is just the market and you don't know. So it's important to remember it. Absolutely. We've, we've, <laughs> we've used that. Them. Yeah, we've used that dating analogy a few times, but it's nice to hear it from someone with so much <laughs> extensive experience. <laughs> and actually, I am just looking at my, because uh, the version you sent me had a prologue and the did book it? doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So did that just change? Did someone say to you, no prologues? Because I know sometimes you you hear folks saying, oh, no, don't put a prologue at the beginning of a book. I have no problem with them, and I think that's hooey. But, yeah, uh, famously they do say don't put a prologue. But interestingly, in fact, I think my editor suggested putting another prologue, so I took that <laughs> prologue out, and then they suggested a totally different prologue, which we then took out. So it went through a couple of different prologues. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, 
I'm happy, always happy to read a prologue. I guess it's whether it's a good prologue or a bad prologue. Exactly, exactly. I mean, what's I know I said my notes were harsh, but actually I'm just looking at here. I've written a couple of nice things. An excellent, assured opening, funny and distinct, believable voice. You have no idea how rare that is, and it is, it is rare. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it got off to a cracking start. So um, you get an agent, uh, and then it goes out in submission. What was that experience like for you? I think, like lots of people, you're an ordinary person. You've not been through this process. It's quite, it's quite unusual and strange, and you're not used to all this. And you're getting phone calls from an from an agent, and you never dreamed you'd have an agent. And they're saying, "Oh, this publisher wants to have a, a Zoom meeting with you." This publisher, and then we're very lucky to have a few TV offers, and you're going to 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 meet TV people in in offices. So it's very strange, and there's lots of people saying, "Oh, your book's really good, and we really like you." And then maybe later on say we don't actually want you. So you kind of, <laughs> you, it's 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 a weird process uh, uh, of people saying lots of nice things to you, but you're thinking, well, do I believe this? And um, it was very exciting, and it all happened very quickly. Actually, after that, after like it did take a long time to get a good agent, but after that, it did happen quite quickly. And there was only about under a year between actually being published and actually signing the the deal with Head of Zeus. So it all happened quite quickly. But I was very lucky, yeah. So there's a brilliant team there that have, that have that have sold it to America and sold it for TV rights. So fingers crossed, in wow. 2024, it will uh, it'll be on TV screens or, or 2025, maybe. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll yeah, and let's talk about the marketing and publicity yeah. because it's been really, really strong. First of all, I, I saw someone, I think it was on, on TikTok, uh, the proof had been sent out to bloggers with love heart sweets and a mug. Were you aware of that? Yeah, I think that's in South Africa, actually. Yeah, oh, was so it? Uh, um, they, they, the, the the cover has a as uh, a as a bloody love heart there. There we go. And when we did a little little book launch for it, we had like the bad love hearts with like jokey messages on because <laughs> uh, rather than romantic ones. Uh, but I like I, I'm a, I was a journalist, so I sort of knew how the machinations of that process worked a bit. And I was lucky that I'd worked at the Daily Mirror before and I'd worked at This Morning on ITV. And I knew when I worked at This Morning on ITV, I knew that a lot of our stories came from reading the newspaper and we'd look at what was in the paper. If there was a story in the paper that was good, we'd we'd find the person, ring them up and say, do you want to be on TV? So I did think, well, if I can get this story in the paper, then perhaps my old colleagues at this morning will pick it up and and it'll validate it that this is a real story. It's not just their mate, their old colleague from this morning. So I contacted my old pal who who has later gone on to be the, the editor of the Sunday Mirror. And she very kindly said, OK, we'll do your story about your dating. This guy's had a terrible dating life and he's ended up with a partner and a book deal. So I did have to sort of like, I'm not a particularly public facing person or quite an introverted person so I did have to sort of like bare my soul a little bit to do this and I had to do quite an awkward photo shoot in our local park with my girlfriend <laughs> and we had to go and hold hands and be lovely and hold the book and smile and I had to talk about all these terrible dates that I'd been on how I was a loser but I knew or I hoped that once that hit the paper that my friends of this morning would would say okay well this is actually a real story and we can invite him on the TV. And you know it was touch and go whether that would happen, and luckily that did that did happen. 
and they said come on and they pitched it as sort of here's uh, somebody used to work at this morning and he was going on all these dates when he worked on this morning and he's got the book out of it. So I was terrified. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'd never done a, a TV interview. I'd obviously worked in TV and watched a lot of people done these interviews and coached them for their interviews. But it's totally different when you're sat on the sofa there and Holly Willoughby's uh, <laughs> waving your book at you and saying... <laughs> So, and, and you know, in, in terms of sales, that obviously gave it a big bump, and that was in the day of uh, the week of release uh, for the hardback. And, uh, yeah, you can obviously do offers on those, but you can watch your Amazon rankings, and you, know, you can get, see it get its little bestseller flag. So it's amazing the difference that that does make. But, you know, what a week later, it was plunged back down again. You know, <laughs> it's, it's quite a temporary thing, you know. So even, even that, and, and people, listeners will know how hard it is to get any marketing and publishers do their best, but they don't have huge marketing budgets. And you do have to do a lot of your own back. And I was lucky to have those those contacts in the media to to, to push that a bit. But even with that, you know, it's, but, it's yesterday. I think, I, think, I think the lesson that the rest of us can take away from this is that there needs to be a hook in the story. You yeah. know, author writes book isn't yeah. enough, is it? If you can say, okay, this was inspired by the fact that I went on hundreds of dates and the great hook with your one is that you know that date two hundred and thirteen was your you know was was your the, you know your partner now and it, there's a happy yeah. ending to the story. So I For think sure. you that that kind of mindset of thinking okay I've now got to sell myself uh, and and sell a hook that can get people interested in the story. That's For sure. as you, you have to make a narrative of it. You've got to make a narrative, and I and I did sit back and I thought about that. What is the narrative of me that I can sell? Yeah, and and, and like I said, you I, you have to be a bit personal and, and bear your soul a little bit. And not everyone's going to be comfortable doing that. And I wasn't hugely comfortable doing that, but I I really wanted to get the book in front of people. And I know how hard it is to get books in front of people. There's so many books out there, so I did sit back and. And, and yes, the 213, it is, I've just made up that number, probably more than that. But I thought, oh, what's a good number if, if, if the successful date is number 213, I can call it lucky number 213. So I did sit and think about that. And I wrote down what my bad dates and I exaggerated a few of the worst date stories. And I made it into a story. And again, my, my work at Real People magazine, doing those sort of narratives and turning real lives into stories did really help with that. So you've got to be a bit cheeky, but you've also, yeah, you're exactly right. You've got to think, how can I sell this book that it's just not another book? But, you know, you might not have that story, but I think everyone's got a reason why they wrote the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant stuff. So the question is, what's next? What's coming next? I, I think one of my last notes were, will this be a series? Will, you know, will, will Gwen carry on? Uh, solving crimes well so so i did i signed a book two book deal with head of zeus uh so the second book i sort of wish it had been a sequel now because i think <laughs> what i found quite hard is 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 writing another character that's different and i think you you give so much of yourself to your first book and you make them quite similar to yourselves. And then mm. suddenly, if you write a second book, you've got to think of a whole new main character who's totally different to the other main character. Uh, so I think sometimes it's a bit easier to write a sequel. But so this second book will not will not be a direct sequel. I'm, I would hope one day we'll have to see how successful it is. Uh, don't swipe right. But um 
one day I would quite like to write a, a, a second book because she was really fun character to write mm, with. Yeah, she's, she's sure. uh, kind of sarcastic and funny and and a bit ridiculous. So she's really fun to write, and it made it a lot easier to become that character, write that character. Mm. But no, the second book uh, will I think it's coming out in twenty twenty five, hopefully, and I'm in the middle of it now. I'm in the classic difficult second book and it is hard it's harder than I thought I knew it was going to be hard and it is harder than I even thought it would be uh because suddenly it's your day job suddenly there's deadlines suddenly there's people there's pressure um so that's what I will be doing I was doing before this interview and I'll be doing after this interview is getting back to staring at my blank word document <laughs> uh, you know you can't I was thinking this the other day like what an opportunity what an like an amazing thing to have to be to be contracted to write a second book is amazing so sometimes I'm like tearing my hair out and thinking oh god I really don't want to write this but then I have to you have to pinch yourself and say come on like this is the dream this is, I was yeah. thinking earlier I uh missed a deal like this but at the start of the, the bestseller podcast, it says, what does it say? It says, finish the book, quit your day job, become a best-selling author. Yes, yeah. <laughs> go through that in my head. And every time I listen to the podcast, I, I, I focus on that bit or I rewind that bit and I listen. And I did exactly that. I did. I finished the book, quit my day job, and now I've just got to do the third one. <laughs> I've just got to become a best-selling author. Hopefully it will happen. But uh, it's worth it's worth having that that mantra and um you know the other thing i used to do was like uh superimpose a picture of the cover of my book onto onto pictures of bestseller lists or Brilliant. or uh, uh bookshops and just stare at the photo and think focus to do this <laughs> to write, remind yourself what the end goal is because it can be hard when you're when you're yeah. in the middle of it yeah absolutely well look luke if anyone can do this, you can. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't swipe right. It's an absolute joy to read. It's it's so much fun. It's a proper page turner. And the sex scene in the police station does <laughs> earn its place. Don't make no mistakes there. It's worth it just for that. Um, thanks right. so much for coming on and talking about it. It's uh, just to have one of our listeners you know have have such an amazing experience and this is the beginning of a, a great well, yeah and, and i should say that i i listen to the best set expert every, every week and it, it really Brilliant. is inspiring and there's so much good advice there that i used so go back listen to all the all the old episodes and uh, it's really helpful so thank you to, to both marks it's been a, a been been really useful thank you oh, thank you luke i appreciate it. take care and hope to speak to you again soon thanks mark Oh, this is brilliant! This is brilliant. Uh, what a great, what a great interview as well. I it's as soon as I heard yeah. the uh, as soon as I heard the uh, context of of what he wrote, but two hundred and twelve dates and then some. Honestly, that is going it some. I mean, I don't know anyone who's tried online dating. Uh, two hundred and twelve dates. I mean, how many years was it he was doing that for? That must have been several years at least, because that would be many dates over. Yeah, it's it's lots. Yeah, week. and and it's 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 a, an alien world because you know, Claire and I met when you know we were eighteen, so it's all pre-internet, and it's just it's you know, and and it's a perilous world out there because don't forget, you know, vegetarian, non-smoking animal lover would have been Adolf Hitler's dating profile, you know? So it's, uh, you, know, you can't, it's such a perilous world out there. So, um, oh. and it, I think it's just, uh, I think he's he's really hit on something here that a lot of people can relate to. And that that is that is one of the, one of the great pillars of a bestseller, I think, is that relatability. Absolutely. And I think it is a brave new world. I mean, when I, when I started out in the internet back in the mid nineties, when I worked for a big internet company, 
um, Yahoo had a gray background to it. That was those, do you remember where you, they didn't even have colors? Like you can even have a white background to a website. Uh, nothing like YouTube existed. Google was still an apple in the, you know, in, in the eye of Larry's, uh, you know, yes. mind. Um, no one had ever heard of Jeff Bezos or Amazon. And uh, yeah, dating apps didn't really start in, you know, didn't really gain momentum until kind of, I think in the 2000s. And so most people our age, you know, who've been, you know, if they've been in a, a long-term relationship, you know, going back out into the world is the first time um, they'll be dating in sometimes 20, 30 years. Yeah. And going on app is just, it's just the most bizarre. It feels so fake and so weird. And it's, and this idea of swiping right, like literally... <laughs> Mm. you know that you're making a decision based on i mean because they do say people are naturally it starts with the attraction to the person which i get which is why you know you've got to be attracted to the person physically but but the idea that you're just dismissing people <laughs> flicking but them it, away it just it does work it just blows I mean, my mind it does Luke yeah i love uh, a couple of people i used to work with younger than me you know married with kids it's you know it clearly works so it does uh, we yeah. should set up an app for publishers and authors so if you swipe left, you get a book deal. Oh, oh. how's it taken us so long, long to think of that? Yeah, what would we call it? Come back to me on that one. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're, suggestions, please. What would you call a book dating app? Uh, or, or maybe I mean they they the they have a matchmaker. No, there you go. That's nice. Uh, well, the thing is, they also have like lots of um, genre-based apps now. There's um, there's Hinged. Uh, hinge, which is, is hinge because a friend of mine is about to go on yeah, hinge. There's hinge, which is, yeah, like that, and people. And that's that for yeah, artistic creatives. Um, mm. There's unhinged. That, that's for all the psychopaths. Um, <laughs> it's good, good to keep them in one group. Yes. Um, but there's, Chris, there's Christian dating websites. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. There's one called Field. Have you heard of that one? No. For threesomes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to ask you know about that. Oh, Mark, it's all, it's, it's, it's Canada. It's all those ones, Mark. It's, it's no, all those it's, long nights in Canada, isn't it? No, but no, I mean, but there's, there's Bumble. There's, there's, there's plenty of, uh, was it plenty, plenty of fish? So that's one called plenty of fish. The idea is there's plenty of fish in the ocean. Um, match. There's so many different, but there's all ones now that they're, they're, they're getting so specialized, but, the reason I'm saying all this is, is there a dating site for writers? Again, right. we should actually we should, like, this is, this is I a mean, gap in the market, isn't last it? Last year, last week, rather, we, we interviewed, you know, Tracy and Nina co-authoring. There's obviously been a big theme of the two of us. That was how this yeah, podcast started yeah, co-authoring. Yeah. Imagine if you could meet your perfect partner, but you could also then yes. write a book with them. How brilliant would Neurotic that be? Neurotic fantasy author looking for similar. Yeah. <laughs> good at world building crap at characters. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. you just, good you know. Good sense of humor essential. Good sense of humor essential. <laughs> and also, and also, you know what, if both of you were writers, you'd avoid all that problem of one person in the relationship being a writer and always scurrying away for hours by themselves. And the other partner sitting alone on the, you know, but the, the, sofa the danger there, that- the danger there, though, is if one of you becomes a massive, colossal, mega hit bestseller, <gasps> and yes. the other one is still struggling to even can't get, get a agent. book deal. Yeah, oh, actually, gonna, not. You've, yeah, that's not going to work, is it? Yeah, yeah, that that requires a lot of. And um, then, and then, if you both became best-selling authors, you'd be this power couple. 
Mm. Right. And then you'd have things like, you know, joint book signings, but then you'd have the thing you talked about the other week where you're looking at each other's pile going, Hey, they've got a big, they've got a bigger line. <laughs> right. Yeah. All Two kinds of drama. Five, yeah. Counting people in the line. Yeah. yeah. Don't want that. Although yeah. what would be good though, is you'd have your own little kind of comforting group where every time you've got a one star review, you could say, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Know what that's like, yeah, you know, exactly. you can get over, you can get, you can push Someone through. Someone who understands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine the kids as well. Two authors be like the, the King family, wouldn't it? Tabitha and yes. Stephen, and then they have yeah. a ton of writer kids. Yeah, that's what's happened, basically. Yeah. 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 And that's very common. I mean, I, I, it's weird. I was looking back. I mentioned the other day that my my dear granny passed at 101 a couple of weeks ago. Wow. And my mum gave me um, to translate a 12-page story of her life when she was fleeing Prussia from wow. the Russian army. And it starts with her leaving her Prussian town at... Uh, in the middle of the night during the middle of winter and it's minus 20 she's pregnant with my mum oh my gosh i think she's like probably five or six months pregnant with my mum she has a sled just to give you context of how cold it was and she pulls this sled with anything that she can pile on it and then she flees into the night and then she has this story of how then she gives birth to my mum in a in a under a you know kind of bomb shelter during an air raid it's, I mean, honestly, Mark, when I stand back and look at that and I think about, we talked about sliding doors a lot on this podcast about how things can happen and amazing coincidences and serendipity and all the things that come together to make, you know, even meeting your, your love of your life, whatever it might be. We all think about that. But I think how grateful am I to be sitting here talking about this story in the context of what's happening today in the world without trying to bring the Christmas cheer down too much, but like it, fleeing from the Russians, it's like... It's such a cycle of life. And this was nearly, I mean, not 100 years ago, but you know, 18, 85 years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just so grateful that I'm here and able to tell this story because I think of all the things that had to happen for my grandmother to like still be alive mm. and then to be able to give birth to my mum and then all the other things that happened since then. Absolutely mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, how amazing. every morning we wake up, we should just be grateful that we get the chance to do whatever we end up doing for that day because- yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people didn't get that chance. A lot of kids of the war, grandkids of the war, they're not here because, yeah. you know, they didn't yeah. make it. So it is, it's something to celebrate, isn't it? It's something to be really, really, um, really grateful. But this story I've got, it's, it's just incredible because, um, it puts into context that and when I read it, I thought, wow, my grandmother could, it's the only thing she ever wrote and she could really write. It was like, it's a really right. beautiful account. And then my uncle ended up writing a book. My mum became a translator early in life, German to English. Um, so there's a theme of book writers. My yeah. dad, before he passed, he wrote a bit of a kind of 30 page kind of retelling of his life. So, um, I do think it does. It does run through. It does run through families, or or either it, it keeps people inspired to keep writing when you know that yeah. your grandparents or parents wrote. I mean, look yeah. at your family as well. You've got writers popping up all over the place, haven't you? Well, there's my aunt Marion, uh, aunt but Marianne, your daughter as well. Yeah, my daughter's a terrific writer. Um, but it's uh, they're good storytellers. They don't write it down. But I remember just coming home from school, and then mum and dad round the dinner table would just tell the best stories and aunts and uncles you know just great storytellers mm. very very funny naturally knew how to spin a yarn kind of thing yeah i had a, a great irish uncle called loose uh i'd only ever see him when we went to australia 
uh, Australia, Ireland, rather. Sorry, where did it come from? Um, I'd only ever see him when I went to Ireland, uh, but he would tell me these great ghost stories, you know, and he'd, he'd, I think I spoke about this when we were talking about the film Unwelcome. He'd, he'd pepper it by going, you know, he'd tell you the story that the ghost, she came through the wall there, as true as I'm sitting here. Uh, and then she came towards me, as true as I'm sitting here. And, you know, it's just that way of keeping you on the hook. And you, you instinctively learn a lot from that, which is, yeah. uh, so apologies to everyone in Ireland for the accent. No, that's a great accent. And Australia. I, I, <laughs> Australia. Do you know what, though? The Irish, particularly, I find just brilliant storytellers it's oh, part of the yeah. culture it's just Absolutely. part and, yeah, yeah. and laughing or laughing as well yeah having yeah. fun brilliant yeah. now luke talked about getting feedback from other people i know he's obviously sent you the book and mm. um but i really do think this is a good thing to do if you haven't got a group of people i mean obviously in the academy we've got like beta readers and the, but it's hard sometimes for some people just to find find people sometimes getting a bit of professional feedback can really help I mean, encourage you, but also point out the things that maybe need to change before you start pitching it out to agents, publishing companies and the like. Absolutely. And I was very bad at this starting out. Certainly when I wrote my plays, I'd like, I've written a play and you're all going to say the lines, you know, and then you come up against the actors and the director and everyone else in, you know, the production team or whatever, and everyone's got an opinion. And it's kind of, I can tell you, you know, your first couple of plays, you're thinking, I should have done a couple more drafts before I showed it to this lot, or I should have shown it to someone. So, because you're very much at the sharp end there, and certainly, you know, I, when when we started the podcast, uh, the I, I I don't think I'd ever used a beta reader, not in that kind of way, yeah, uh, in a in a in a constructive way. I was kind of, well, I don't want to show it to anyone because they're going to find fault with it. It's a kind of it's a yeah, terrible, they're going to criticize kind of it thing. Whereas yeah. now it's such an essential part of my process. I can't imagine doing without it, and it's mm. uh, it's an opportunity to make it better. Simple as that, you know, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is why I've, you know, I, I enjoy doing it for other writers because I learn from it as well. I, I, I love looking at what other writers are doing and seeing something that isn't quite polished and isn't quite 100% and just thinking, this is great and I can see the shape of this. And I think, you know, maybe a few changes here or there, this could be absolutely knockout. So, um, yeah, I, I it's I've come around complete full circle with that. You know, it's yeah. uh, so essential. I think it's good to be a beta reader before you look for beta readers as well, I think, because I think it's important to kind of learn what it is to be a beta reader first before, and then you you, you will have a much more successful um, group of beta readers because you'll have an appreciation for, you know, the type of, you know, understanding what type of feedback they want and, yeah. um, and, and, and trying to be constructively criticizing or constructive feedback which is of something of value to them rather than something that will just kind of you know make them want to give up because they think oh i can't do any of this so i think i would encourage anyone who's who's never who's writing a book but has never done a beta reading role then to do that um mm -hmm. it's definitely something worth trying the other thing that luke talked about with regards to the well i don't know how to explain it but it's like the fact that he sent out this uh, this uh, submission <laughs> expecting eight weeks for feedback on average and then the next day got a response <laughs> from him, from his top major agent yeah. how yeah. mad is that yeah and then had a weekend in barcelona to look into shape which is yeah, um, yeah but it makes true. me think i mean it's the kind of crazy thing i probably do and 
I think in some ways when that does happen and something turns around so quickly, in no matter how stressful it might be, wow, how quickly can you get things done? And it just shows you what you're capable of doing under pressure and a, a really tight deadline. Because I was thinking if Luke hadn't have done that, if he hadn't sent it out and thought, oh, I'll just spend the next, he probably would have spent months working on that. Yes. He? Yes. But he turned it around in, in a very short period of time. It wasn't the best, but it didn't mean that the project ended and he didn't, it was, it was, it, you know, he didn't end up getting that agent, but it gave him enough impetus to end up finding the right agent, getting a great book deal and all the great things have happened to him since. Yeah. There's nothing like a deadline, but that said, I think the lesson to learn here as well is a, the deadline thing is important, but also don't send it out until it's ready. It's got to be ready. Uh, the thing I'm hearing, and I'm 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 hearing this from a lot of authors who are on submission, and I don't know how true this is, but I would just take it as a truism just just to help yourself. But I'm hearing that a lot of publishers are looking for books that are pretty much ready to publish without editing because the editors are all stretched. You know, so many mm. people have been made redundant, there are fewer resources at publishers. So if you can present a book to a publisher that needs as little editing as possible, I think the odds of you getting a foot in the door will be increased because I just don't there used to be a time, certainly when I was, you know, working at working in publishing, where you'd get something that was a diamond in the rough, and they think, you know what, I can knock this into shape. I don't think they've got the time to do that anymore. I don't think they've got the, you know, we talk about it being yeah. a developmental edit, and certainly if you're an indie author, you can do that uh, if you can afford that, and that's great. Um, but trad publishing, I think it's got to be as good as it possibly. Do you know can. what though? It that's it that concerns me a little bit, Mark. Because, it concerns me because yeah, it's basically when you look at all the things. If you go back pre-internet and you think of all the things that a publisher did, and it's like removing that piece is one of the biggest chunks. I mean, obviously there's the marketing, but now nowadays that's shared with the author. The author's expected yeah. to be involved in the marketing, so that's another thing that's been. So it it it, it makes me think. Obviously, I, I'm guessing it's evolving as as, as everything else. I mean, is, look, this but... is this is this is scuttlebutt on Facebook groups. Yeah. So take it with as big a small a pinch of salt as as you want. But it kind of rings true to me. You know, there's there's something about, and I, and I think you just do yourself a favour if you'd send something that is as good as it possibly can be. For people who might be listening to this for the first time and they're getting into it, it might be the first time they've ever listened to a book writing podcast. The word submission can be quite confusing for some people. How would you describe that to to someone that doesn't know what a submission being on submission well, it, means? It's uh, usually you've got an agent who has taken on your book and has said, right, it's ready to go out, and we're going to put it out in submission, which usually means a first round of maybe five or six key publishers that they think. Editors, in fact, key editors, because the, the agent will know, you know, we, we have an idea of what publishers might be looking for, what imprints might be looking for. But I, one of the reasons you have an agent is they will know what the editors are looking for. They will know that editor X at imprint Y is looking specifically for this kind of romantic murder mystery that, that Luke has written, you know, and they will go, I know. Freddie's looking for that. I'm going to send it to Freddie. They're going to love this. You know, that kind of shortens the odds for you, um, which is all the more disheartening when it comes back with a rejection, you know. So, <laughs> but they, so they'll, they'll maybe do a first round and then a second round. And if after that, 
they they're not getting any bites they might go okay we need to regroup do we need to rethink this that kind of thing but it can take weeks as well the eight weeks thing that luke was was quoting for an agent at least is usually the bare minimum these days you know just put it out to an agent and then start writing the next thing forget about it try and put it out of your head and just get on with you know what's in front of you because if you sit there fretting and worrying about what's going to happen it, you, you'll be sort of paralyzed with fear yeah. uh, because they've all got massive slush piles now, absolutely massive slush piles, particularly post-lockdown because it seems that, you know, everyone was writing a lockdown novel. <laughs> well, I think maybe Which, a lot of people are writing lockdown novels and using the lockdown time to do it. And so a lot of people probably didn't send things on submission during lockdown because they would, yeah. and, and a lot of new people, I mean, take Luke, he's a, yeah. as you called it, a, a, what would you call him a COVID writer? <laughs> yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a kind of nice like baby boomers. It's like people yeah. that started writing in, in lockdown. Um, I noticed with music as well. There's been such a amazing output of music, which is all yeah. the stuff of people writing in lockdown when they couldn't be they weren't touring and the like. So interesting, interesting things. Now, uh, I liked that Luke or his publicity team kind of thought outside the box and were using some really interesting merchandise should we call it um this love heart mug that they yeah. sent out and this takes us to this idea of um you know having to have a hook as an author not just like you said authors that write writing a book is not yes. it's not a author story. writes book is not a, a new story no. no so we got we got two things here we got we got the sort of the publishers sending out little gifts with the book and not everyone gets that that sort of you know the the top tier of authors yeah, because generally that's, that's get pricey that. as well isn't it it's expensive physical it used yeah. it used to happen a lot i remember mm. when um sort of the heyday of orion in the sort of the mid 2000s we used to send stuff out all the time we had this kind of you know uh marketing budget where we do presentations and we take toys along and things like that just anything essentially just to grease the wheels of commerce so to speak and i remember it came to a head because there was a there was a story in the bookseller and it was an orion book where this happened where they sent out books with uh snow globes you oh, know and yeah. one of them leaked so this uh reviewer opened this package they thought oh i've got a package from orion they opened it up and the snow globe leaked all over their computer no. and they wrote a and they wrote for a national newspaper and they said i have had it with all these gifts and gimmicks this has got to stop oh, so dear. it died right down again and then the internet came along and bloggers came along and and then what's happened is because you know that that instagrammable thing of if you get send it to a blogger and maybe with a gift or snacks or whatever, but they're much more likely to put that up on Instagram and start talking about your book. So it's sort of come back again, uh, this thing of sending little packages and gifts and things like well, that. Well, in a way it amplifies it. the value of it because not only do you get that person interested, they've then got some content to put on their social media exactly, as well, the yeah. unboxing yeah. or look what I just yeah. got, which, yeah. which then has even greater effect. So yeah, I can see how that's kind of picked up again. Yeah. It's so fascinating, got, isn't it? You got that sort of that that side of things, that that sort of marketing publicity side of it. But just solely on the publicity, obviously Luke, we can't all do this because Luke, you know, he 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 worked for the mirror and he got a story in the mirror which helped him position it for this morning. And listen, I'm gonna put a link in the show notes so you can watch the clip of Luke. It's a Daily Mail link. I apologize for that. But you can, there is a video embedded in the page where you can watch uh, the clip of, of Luke talking to Holly on this morning. Uh, and it's interesting that, you know, he said it moved the needle for a bit. I don't know, you know, authors were all 
desperate to get on telly because we think it's going to and it does one of the jobs i used to do when i when i looked after the amazon account amazon eventually released a thing where you could look by the hour at sales spikes uh for your books so we would go okay so and so's going on this morning and you'd look and from like 10 o'clock to one in the afternoon, there'd be a massive sales spike and then it would drop off. So I know we think these things can be a kind of, uh, we think they can be a, a miracle that can change things, but it doesn't always It doesn't work. Have it a can, uh, but here's a question. I'm curious about this because I've heard this before where you get these massive spikes um, and then it drops off. But for me, is the drop off slightly higher than the average previously because that's the build isn't it that's where the new people that have got the book yes. read the book and then recommend it if it's so i think what you get is you get these massive spikes but what they are is there an influx of new readers coming in all reading your book around the same time and then if the book's great then you start to get the flywheel effect of people recommending which yes. so the spikes i think these spikes are great um because they get you to that place quicker, but you can do it organically. It just takes a lot, lot longer if you're yes, doing it like yes. literally one reader at a time. You're using the word flywheel there. I got a flashback to so many bloody sales meetings where they they were like, "Have we got the flywheel effect?" They would talk about this. They would say, "Has it?" You know, and it's like, "Oh God, I'm not a miracle worker." You know, sometimes it did, and sometimes it didn't, and there was no kind of rhyme or reason to it. I mean, usually what it was, if you had a sustained campaign. So like every year we'd have the Harry Bikers, they do a new cookery book and the Harry Bikers usually had a TV show, but then they would go on, I don't know, this morning or the one show or something. They would have a week where they blitzed publicity and they do book events. And it was that combination of sort of carpet bombing of publicity and marketing that gave the the book it's it's kind of momentum and it took a lot of effort. It does take So time. I think this idea yeah. of thinking, I'm going to go on one radio show or one TV show, and I'm set for life. But then uh, the uh, the flip side of that is when I started at Orion, we published Michelle Paver and her first Wolf Brother book, which is a wonderful book. Cannot recommend it highly enough. It's just fantastic. And I looked after the Otakas account, and I was relatively new, and I cocked up the order. I doubled the order. So instead of sending 3,000 copies to Otakas, I sent 6,000 copies. And I thought I was going to get sacked because I was new to the job. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it sent twice as many copies. I thought, this is it. I'm done for. I'm absolutely done for. Michelle went on News at 10. I don't know how she did it. She went on News at 10. The book flew off the shelves. Waterstones ran out. Otakas had a massive market share because they had all the stock and suddenly I was the biggest hero in the company. I love so it. yeah, it's just it's a great uh, story because of my stupid little car. I filled up a <laughs> piece of paperwork twice. So uh, <laughs> wow. How crazy is that? I mean, what are yeah. the chances? I can admit to that now. But, but a little preview, a little preview. Again, I've been very, very uh I'm 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 holding things back for next year, for next year's podcast when I I attempt to become a bestseller in nonfiction, but as part of that journey, Mark, I tell you what, I've got my, I've got my, I've got my hook, my book hook. Excellent. I've got that down already. And I've also got the author hook as well. It's all part Brilliant. of it. And I am going to be uh, on podcasts, TV, radio. If this works, I'm, I'm going for it big time and it's ridiculous. I expect nothing less. You know that you know exactly <laughs> it is I'm I'm going to and I'm going to document it week by week and the great thing is I'm giving myself a whole year of publicity for the book. Yeah. 
That's what um, you have to do. And it's not just write about it, the release date. No, it it's, isn't. It's, and, you know, it's and it's going to be fascinating to see because I also fully, fully recognize that, yeah, if I get on national TV or national radio to talk about the book, it's going to be amazing. But it is not going to be the one thing that's suddenly going to break break the, you know, the, the, the people hearing about the book, buying the book, signing up to, you know, the mailing list, whatever it might be, it's going to be continually building and building yeah. and building it. Constantly, the best, so. the best publicity for any book, any book, doesn't matter what it is, is me saying to you, you've got to read this. Yeah. Word of mouth. It's yeah. And that's the difference when you go on TV and you get a spike when the book is great, and people recommend it, then it builds. If the book's not got that word of mouth factor, it kind of then tails off a bit. And I think that's, no matter how much marketing you throw at something, if the book's not got the word of mouth effect, it won't ever really get to that exponential growth curve. That's that's my theory. Going to test it out. I mean, I have no idea whether my book's going to have the word of mouth effect. I mean, it's, that's I'll be all talking be, about it. Don't worry. Well, yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> have you read this crap? But, um, but no, I mean, in terms of, it's going to be, I'm doing this with eyes wide open, mm-hmm. massive experiment. I'm not, I'm going to go large and huge in terms of my, ex, you know, visualization mm-hmm. of what I wanted to do. Right. Back in your dating but, app. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. But at the same time, but at the same time, I'm going to be observing with everyone else what actually happens because I think by being by, by by really kind of talking about what's happening, it will real yeah. really start to unpack a bit about how this works and what doesn't work as well, which is just as valuable as an author to learn about. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating. But learn a few things on the podcast, which then you know it's time to put it into action, right? Absolutely. Um, in the extended version, folks, of the podcast today, we're going to be talking about openings. Mm. openings yes. for books. Because Luke had to rewrite his several times. So uh, yeah. yeah, and they're Absolutely. not easy. Very important. Actually, we have a we have a course on the Academy mm. about your first page and your first chapter and, that, and your first line of your first page as well. We That's how important this is. And we're also going to be talking about superimposing your book that you're writing around that right now, your book cover and popping it in the bestseller charts. We're going to tell you a bit about how to do that and why that's a brilliant thing to do as well. So if you'd like to join us in the extended edition of this podcast, simply pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. So, Mr. Stay, what's happening on social media and wins this week? Social media. Well, Kate Baker, who longtime supporter of the podcast and uh, in the Academy as well, her wonderful Made of Steel, that's M-A-I-D, Made of Steel. Uh, she's ticking off another uh, uh, box in her wish list here in that she's going to be, uh, uh, she's, she's going to be uh, a, in conversation, an in-conversation event uh, at the Book Nook. Uh, which is in Tolsbury in Essex on Tuesday, 19th of December. And you can book tickets on Eventbrite. I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can check that out. But Kate, Kate has been absolute superstar in the Academy and the bestseller uh, you know, group on Facebook as well. And it's just been brilliant seeing her go from strength to strength. And, and each time she's got a bit of news, it's some other little goal. We're talking about, you know, in the extended version about imagining these things and making them happen, envisioning these things. And with Kate, it's just happening. She's an absolute superstar. So that's nice. 19th of December, 7 p.m. at the Book Nook in Tolsbury, Essex. Brilliant stuff. And uh, Zoe Rich is also in the Academy. Now, Zoe, been a regular at uh, the surgeries on Wednesday nights in the Academy. I know she was talking about getting her edit notes 
from her uh, her publisher. And uh, just a few days ago, she's finished tea and told my husband, I'm off to edit these last two words. He wants to know what editing the end needs. Reader, I've two pages to edit. If only it was just two words. And then a few hours later, she she tweeted, this glass of wine is a celebration. Line edits finished at 7.31 on the 24th of November, 2023. Phew, that was a bumpy ride. Thanks for helping me along, folks. So huge congrats on that, Zoe. Can't wait to see your book. I've got to tell you something. I've got to tell you something brilliant that happened in the life coaching for writers in the academy on this Monday, Mark. Um, I was running through the wins. We always do this thing where we we run through the wins of all the academy members um, at the beginning of the session. It's one of my favourite bits. It's pages and pages now. It's bonkers. Mm. Um, But Zoe was on the call and uh, she talked about how she was getting super excited about her book coming out. And I said, you know, something happened the other day, Zoe. Uh, I got an email from your publicist, and she said really? And she didn't even know that they were starting to promote her book, which is coming out next summer. And it was so professionally done. It was brilliant. And I got to basically show her 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 publicist's email that I received on the podcast, you know, saying, and of course the publicist didn't realize that that Zoe is, you know, part of the academy. But it was just <laughs> so proactive and so brilliant. And I said, Yeah, look, it's all happening. And she was just blown away and so over the moon and excited about the fact that this this whole this whole wheel is in motion now for her book coming out next year. So we'll be celebrating that with Zoe uh, over the coming months for sure. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. Excellent, folks. Well, listen, if you've got any wins that you'd like to share with us, always remember you can pop along to the contact form on the bestsellerexperiment.com website. Whilst you're there, click on the newsletter tab and fill out your email address and we'll send you weekly updates of all of the fun stuff happening in Bestseller Experiment HQ. Um, Plus a lot of the news that's going to be coming over the next uh, couple of weeks and months is all the new things that are going to be happening in the podcast. And Mark, how can people get hold of us on socials? On Facebook, we are Bestseller Experiment. Twitter, Instagram, and Threads, we are at Bestseller XP. Come and say hello. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, if you've been inspired by Luke or any of the authors who've been on the show, give us a rating or a review or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you, as always, to our editors, Dave and JD. Absolutely. And don't forget, folks, sign up to the Academy. Get in on the early birds before Christmas. It's academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. The fiction and the non-fiction program are opening and are open for people wanting to join us in January of next year. And uh, I think it's uh, also important to say, Mark, as well, that um, 25th of December is a very special day. Not least it being Christmas Day, but it's also going to be a very special uh, episode of the bestseller experiment that we could be doing. Um, and it'll be Mark's Mark's last one on the, uh, on the podcast. So do join us for that. It's going to be an absolute humdinger. You will not want to miss it. Um, and we look forward to uh, having some fun and games on that episode as well. So folks have a great writing week <laughs> and it's a goodbye from Mark one and a goodbye from Mark two. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.